For so many modern driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies and then a successful coaching and online course business. But for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. We're here to share an insider's peek into the strategies and mental resilience it takes to create and run six and seven figure online businesses. As women entrepreneurs, only 2% of us will ever earn a million dollars. We've done it ourselves and we're on a mission to help you reach financial independence by chronicling our journey and sharing our proven playbook. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow a business and build a life that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the new podcasts that drop every single Tuesday. Welcome to the And She Spoke podcast. Today, we are talking about people-pleasing, and we have the expert in the house, Sarah Fisk. Sarah is a master certified coach, and her specialty is people-pleasing. She is the people-pleasing coach. So for any of you who hate to disappoint people, who are constantly questioning every decision that you make, if you are spending hours worrying about what other people will think of you or your actions that you take in your business, if you replay situations in your mind and wish you had done it differently, all of that are signs of people-pleasing. People-pleasing can leave you emotionally and physically drained and is a common precursor to burnout. So if you are a woman and building a business, I'm going to guess that there's a little bit of people-pleasing holding your business back. So please join me and listen to Sarah teach us how to stop people-pleasing. Enjoy. Welcome to the Angie Spoke Podcast. We are so happy to have you, Sarah. I am so excited to be here. I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of weeks now. What you do is so valuable. Oh, thank you. And I've been listening to yours and right back at you. Why don't you tell everyone, let's start with like who you are, what your business is, and then just drop the name of your podcast in there. Absolutely. My name is Sarah Bybee Fisk. I am a coach and I coach women to stop people-pleasing and perfectionating. And I am a master certified coach and instructor. I love to teach. I love to get into the nitty gritty of why we do the things that we do to better understand them. And the work that I do is 100% autobiographical. I just (laughs) was so stuck in my own people pleasing that it was making life really painful. And when I finally felt like I had the resources to tackle it, I did. And then it just became really, this is the work I want to do for the rest of my life. Because women who stop people pleasing and perfectionating are free. They are free. They are fully realized humans who have not only the power of their choice, but the power of their wants and their desires that guide their lives in such a beautiful, incredible way. But my podcast is the X Good Girl podcast. Which is best name ever. Thank you so much. Because for so many of us who were socialized as women, we were taught to be good girls. And that phrase if we had all your listeners in a room and we just asked them the question, what's good girl behavior, they would all know you'd be nice, you'd be kind, you worry about other people, you put other people before yourself. And so that's why I do what I do. So like, how did you get into coaching? I want to hear that story first. I got into coaching because I wanted a second half of life career. I have five kids. I grew up really having the idea that my highest and best value was as a mother, as a stay-at-home wife. And so I did that for a little while and loved most of it. But as my kids got older and as I began to have more time alone, I began to realize, what do I even like? What do I want? I've spent so much time and energy and effort investing in these other humans that I love, but where is me in all of this? And so I began to just research some different careers and coaching came up and it's what I went with. And when did the 
perfectionating and people pleasing. When was that like, this is what I'm going to like niche down into? Oh, easy. <laughs> when it was absolutely the thing that was holding me back uh-huh. in creating my own coaching business. I was worried about what clients were thinking of me. I was worried about telling them how much I charge because what if they don't like it? What if they're mad about it? What if they don't think I deserve it? I was worried about setting boundaries around the hours that I was working because what if somebody needed me? And I just kept bumping at every turn, it felt like, into the fear that I had about what other people would think of me for either selling to them or not selling to them, for setting a boundary or not keeping a boundary, for having some wants and needs of my own. It was everywhere. And why why are we like this, Sarah? Women? The best question ever. Actually, it is unavoidable. I want to take your brains back and everyone who's listening, just babies. Either you have a baby or you know a baby for sure, right? Babies come into the world completely incapable of meeting any of their own needs. And so in our earliest programming, we learn that if we cry, somebody comes and picks us up. Somebody changes our diaper, somebody feeds us, somebody puts us to bed. And that crying is the behavior that we learn that if I do this, I get a reward. I get taken care of. I mean, hopefully that's the case. I think we all know that there are some instances in orphanages where there's not enough people taking care of babies that babies just stop crying. Mm. They just, they stop. And so from our very earliest programming, there is this relationship between I behave a certain way and I get something. And so babies grow up. How many of you have been holding a baby and the baby smiles and you smile back and you're like, oh my gosh, you're smiling, you're smiling. And then the baby Mm. smiles bigger. Because the baby is learning, oh, she likes that. She likes that. And the baby gets rewarded with cuddles and being held close and loves. And those are essential needs. If you think about the human needs like warmth, safety, security, food, connection, love, belonging, people-pleasing gets those needs met. Because we learn that if I behave the way the big people in my life want me to, I get rewarded. What is the difference though? Why do men as adults not people please as much as women? It's a great question. I actually have a lot of men who listen to my podcast Uh and they do identify, but where it diverges is the programming that women or people socialized as women are subjected to is different than the programming that people who are socialized as men. So our baby now is grown up and going to school. There are new big people and she's learning new rules about how to behave and she's getting rewarded with a gold sticker or getting punished with having to sit out for recess, right? So girls are programmed to please other people with their behavior by serving them, by putting their needs ahead of their own. And we learn to be vigilant about what other people want and need from us because that's why we're rewarded. Boys, on the other hand, at some point, their programming is boys will be boys. And there is room that is made for misbehavior. We often talk about, you know, a strong man is one who says his opinion and doesn't care who disagrees with it. That is not the way we talk about women expressing their opinion. And so everyone is taught to people, please, in the beginning. And there are some really specific things that happen to encourage that no matter how you're socialized. But as you grow older, now it becomes about your gender and about what is expected to be a good girl, a good wife, a good mom, a good woman. And we are not given the same freedom of expression and the same kind of forgiving attitude around the way we say things, the way we act in the world that men are. Mm -hmm. You know, Sarah, I have this really interesting thing that happened yesterday that I just want to kind of like run by you and see what your take on it is. So I was participating in a workshop for writers on like understanding how to come with writing topics. And there was one of the exercises was like mind map, all of the skills that you have, like riding a bike or knowing how to swim or knowing how to parallel park and then like build off of that. But we all have these skills that we just know how to do. So I'm just like dutifully doing the assignment like 10 minutes and I'm like mind mapping out all the things I know how to do. And it's fun. And it's interesting to remember all these like mundane things that I wasn't born knowing how to do. (laughs) So we come back as a group in the middle of this exercise 
And shockingly, like the women start writing in the chat and raising their hands and saying like, I don't feel like I can call the things I do a skill. Like, I don't feel like, how do I know if I'm skilled enough to write it down as a skill? Like, I'm just like such a, a dude in this. I'm like so good at like these 1000 things I've like scratched out on my piece of paper, <laughs> like totally fine. But I just started to see like from different cultures, different countries, the women not having been able to complete that assignment, something happened in the communication of the assignment where it was like that word skill got like mutated into meaning expert or meaning the best in the world for the women in the group largely, not all of us. It was like shocking to me. And I just wanted to share that story and see if you had any take on it. Like what the hell happened? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. What happened was when you have to go back by yourself and write your skills, the only thing that counts are skills that you have personally, internally validated. Mm. And we as women are so used to external validation. We don't think we're good at something unless someone else tells us we're good at it. Interesting. Right. And so I'm by myself. I only have my own brain and I am only allowing myself to write down what I think I'm good at, which probably isn't a lot if I have been raised and socialized as a female to believe that other people telling me I'm good at it, that's what matters. Other people telling me I'm doing it right. Other people telling me, yes, that's what we want to see. And men are socialized away from that in a really interesting way. So that's definitely what was going on. But I think part of what you said also matters is that who decides what good at it is? Who decides what expert, what proficient is? And I just always remember the study done, and I'm going to botch the numbers a little bit. So somebody, you know, tell me if you know it, but when applying to a job, a woman will only apply to the job if she meets like a hundred percent of the criteria and men will apply if they meet 60. Yep. Yep. So we have a higher standard for what we will let count. Yeah. Interesting. You know, the illustration that I had yesterday was a woman sort of came unmuted on zoom and it's a woman from another part of the world, not in North America where we are. She like was struggling with even riding a bicycle. She's like, well, I can ride a bicycle, but I don't know that I'm skilled at riding a bicycle. I could get on a bicycle and get from here to there. Does that count as being skilled? And I was like, what the hell? Like, wow, that's just absolutely shocking to me. Like, yes, you can ride a bike. <laughs> She's looking for someone else yeah. to tell her, yeah. yes, that counts because she yeah. doesn't have the power or permission to do it for herself. Yeah. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal because it actually leads right into how I define people-pleasing and it is being overly connected to people outside of you and under-connected to yourself mm. so that when something is asked of you, you don't feel like you have the choice to say no, or to do what you want because of what those other people outside of you will think or say about you. It's everywhere. So the majority of our audience are women building businesses. So where does that show up? (laughs) Where does it not show up? Maybe it's a better answer. Oh man. I mean, it shows up in a lot of different ways. First of all, because, and I'm going to speak in generalities, and obviously there are people who don't meet these criteria. So, you know, take what pings you, take what lands for you. Because generally women are programmed to take care of everyone else first. When you are in a service-based business, now your clients become the most important people all the time without exceptions. This is how women overwork. We're trying so hard to please our clients that we don't stick to limitations around working because we also want our clients to like us. We are afraid to do anything that would jeopardize them liking us, like telling them how much we charge or telling them about a price increase that makes financial sense for the health of our business, but we're afraid they're not going to like it. We are afraid to set limitations sometimes around how they contact us or how often they contact us in businesses like coaching and even therapy that becomes really obvious when you have clients like texting you at 10 o'clock at night. And people wanting access to you outside of the business hours that you have set, but you let them have it because you're afraid they'll get mad if you don't. Those are just a few. Yeah, just a few. I mean, like, (laughs) I feel like we coach business and I feel like 
every single thing that people say in our coaching calls, we can trace it back to this exact problem. So can you tell us what was some of the early work that you did, if you're willing to share for yourself to kind of break out of the people pleasing, to be able to stand up and say, Hey, I've got this amazing business and you should come and hire me. Yes. The very first thing, and this is going to sound so silly. If you don't plug into, let's just take the example of being asked to do something that you don't want to do in that moment. Usually there's some stress. You're worried about what they're going to think if you don't say yes. You're worried about their opinion of you, how it might affect your business. And so the very first thing I learned how to do was just to pause and never say yes in the moment. I memorized a phrase. I would love to think about that and get back to you. I tried to say it as often as possible. Even if I knew that eventually I wanted to say yes to the request, it was still really good practice for me to pause because again, our programming as women is meet their need, satisfy them, give them what they want. And it feels there's some urgency with that. So to slow that down and to have a phrase that you just deploy that gives you some time and space to think was the first thing that I started doing because I noticed in the moment I was stressed, I was anxious, I was worried, and I couldn't think clearly. Biologically, physiologically, we lose access to that thinking part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex that helps us make the best decisions. And when you're stressed or under pressure because someone wants something from you, a lot of us, we just say yes to release that pressure. But I learned that if you paused, you could also release the pressure and then you would have time to think it through. So first step If you want three steps, these are the three steps that I teach every one of my clients. So number one, pause, some kind of memorized phrase that you use to get you some more time. Because number two, this is what we can't do in a moment of stress. We forecast. What that means is I go back to my home or I remove myself from the situation. I'm not in front of them anymore or feeling the pressure of having to give them an answer. And now I can decide If I take on this project, what does it actually mean? It's this many hours. It's this much time. It's this much energy, resources, money. Do I want that? Once I forecast, I mean, all of us have had, I'm pretty sure this is universal experience. We're somewhere where we don't want to be. We never wanted to be there. We're like, how did this happen? How did I get here? It's because we didn't forecast. And it's the forecasting that actually gives us the opportunity to make an informed choice. And that's step number three, to pick. And I want to be clear about what you are picking between. People-pleasing is uncomfortable. We end up doing things we don't want to do, shortchanging ourselves, overworking, getting underpaid because we won't tell people what we really charge. That is uncomfortable. Not people-pleasing is also uncomfortable. Telling someone up front that your prices are changing, telling them that your schedule is changing and you can no longer accommodate the way you've been communicating in the past. That is also uncomfortable, but you can only pick between those discomforts when you've given yourself a chance to really quantify them. So pause, forecast, and then pick the discomfort that you want on purpose Sometimes we might pick something that still looks like people-pleasing. That's fine if you've chosen it on purpose. Sometimes we're going to choose to not people-please. And when we feel uncomfortable, it's really helpful to know why we're choosing it. And usually it's because it moves us in the direction that we want to be going. Yeah, that's the key right there is like, where do I want to go? And I think so many women just sort of forget that or in the moment And then they look back and they just are like, I'm not moving forward. I'm not getting there fast enough. I don't have any new clients and I'm just frustrated and I'm, you know, and all these very difficult emotions. Can I just ask like with that framework, first of all, thank you for sharing with us. That's great. Do you do that? Like, obviously I can see that in person, but like your inbox, if someone comes in with a request, do you just like skip to the pause or do you feel like the need to like immediately respond and then pause and then come back or... You know, do you know what I'm saying? Always pause. pause. Mm -hmm. I really love to study urgency, right? To study it in myself. 
Mm-hmm. And to encourage my clients to study it because we are so motivated when something feels urgent. Like, why do I need to respond to that thing that just came in my head? Like, what's the urgency yeah. that what I'm trying to? What is the urgency about this? Yeah. Yeah. And most of the time there is no real urgency. It's a perceived urgency of like, I got to get back to them. So they know that I'm on top of it. We're trying and- to feed some kind of opinion of ourselves that we want them to have. And I want inbox zero perfectionism. We're the opposite of each other, Sandy. Like, as you're saying this, I'm like, I feel zero obligation to anyone ever. If I get back to them in a month, lucky for them. And if I never (laughs) even open the email, then it's it's not my problem. I don't feel the pressure in that way. And I guess like that kind of leads me to my big question for you, Sarah, is like, how do you see people pleasing like kind of show up differently for different people. Cause I certainly have my lane where it's like intense people pleasing. That's very different than Sandy's. And I just, I like wonder how much like diversity across the spectrum of people pleasing do you see in your clients? You know, it's interesting because I get the sense from you that powerful and comfortable in your own skin is probably the direction in which you trend. And I'm not saying that that is uncommon for women, but it's kind of uncommon for women. Mm -hmm. So most of us (laughs) feel like urgency around things, but (laughs) for you, it might show up like performing and pretending Mm -hmm. that I am this strong, powerful woman. You Mm -hmm. can't hurt me. I don't need you. And that I can do everything on my own or, and I'm just guessing, I'm not saying, you know, that this is you specifically, but where I do see it show up is almost taken to the opposite extreme of I'm pretending to be a woman who doesn't need anything from anyone ever. And that is actually not a true reflection of the human experience. And so in order to not need anyone ever, we're impenetrable. Mm -hmm. We shield and we use distance to kind of put a buffer between us and other people. Because if I got close to you, then what would happen? And so people pleasing might not show up the exact same way, but I think it's just interesting to notice in the balance of like, I love myself, I'm aware of my own needs, and I love and I'm part of loving, connected relationships and communities where I willingly reciprocate and respond to their needs. That might be an interesting thing to to Mm -hmm. think about because it shows up that way as well. You're all fired up about your business until you have to go and market it, talk about it, promote it. All of that feels so heavy, hard, and overwhelming. We know that your business will flourish when you become comfortable promoting your work. And for that reason, we created Visible, a program that helps women amplify their voice in a world that tries to keep them quiet. Build an audience around your body of work and not just your body. So forget everything you've been taught about marketing. Visible is your fastest route to building an audience of raving fans that can turn into paying clients. And side bonus, you can ignore trend alerts on Instagram. Join Visible today at joinvisible.co. Okay. I have another question. <laughs> Shoot, let's do it. Let's do you it. You get to talk to your friend all the time. So I, I need to ask my <laughs> You questions. can have Sarah. <laughs> okay. So I am so curious about the relationship between people pleasing and cancel culture. That for me is like the people pleasing kryptonite. Like I am so scared of saying the wrong thing and getting canceled. And I even feel a little bit scared saying that on the podcast, even saying canceled, like makes me scared. And I just wonder if you've noticed anything about this. Like, I feel like this is this weird thing that's happening, particularly with women on the internet where it's like, like we're walking around with the zippers on our mouths because we're so afraid and tiptoeing around saying something that's going to get us canceled and like blow our lives up. Yeah. So let's just be clear. What is your definition of being canceled? What would that look like? Being called out as saying something that's against beliefs that I've publicly said that I adhere to, being doxxed, just generally terrified as a female on the internet of being doxxed, or just like being afraid of like all of the work I've done in my life somehow being discredited because I have an unpopular belief. So those are like the things that I'm afraid of, I think, most. Okay, awesome. Let's just kind of take them one at a time. So let me give you an example. I was raised in a very conservative religious community. And when I decided to leave, 
my parents and many of my friends thought it was the worst decision I had ever made in my life, that I was eternally jeopardizing really important things. And now I was doing this horrible thing and making them very sad. So I learned a sentence during that time because I had been raised in the same religion that I knew that they were thinking about, like all the beliefs, they still had them. And so this phrase that makes a lot of sense kind of was born. I could talk with my parents and they were upset and I could say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense that you Mm -hmm. think that, but I think differently, but my experience is different. And so when you're thinking about being canceled, it's someone who has a different opinion and we don't actually even know what their motivation is, but I just wonder if, well, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm not saying, let me caveat, that doesn't mean I agree. That doesn't mean that I think it's okay. That doesn't mean that I'm condoning. It -hmm. just means an acknowledgement that given that your brain is thinking that, that makes sense. That makes sense. So number one, there are people out there who are just looking to cancel people, right? If that's what they're looking to do and they find you, what are they going to do? Try to come up with some reason to cancel you. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. What that does for me is we don't have to fight them or fight that. Because the second part of that is I'm only canceled if I say I'm canceled. Mm -hmm. You can't cancel me. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. You get that on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Let's make them. Like I'm only canceled if I say I'm canceled. Yeah. Okay. You think I have a different opinion. Okay, fine. You think I screwed this up. All right. That makes sense. Okay. Mm. I find that, okay, is a really interesting Mm. way to respond because all they're going to do is keep saying, well, yeah, you said that. And then you did this and then you did that wrong. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Mm. that makes sense. So I'm not saying it this way to be flippant or to treat it lightly, because the second part of it is I think is you taking care of your nervous system with this phrase. No matter what happens, I will never, ever, ever mistreat myself. Mm. On top of whatever else is going on, people trying to cancel me, people, you know, being horrible, mean trolls. I will never, in addition to that discomfort, mistreat myself. I personally believe that one of the most important skills for women people socialize as women, yeah, I mean, men too, right? We will include them. But women, in particular, need to have their own back. And what I mean by that is, if I'm in a situation, let's just take getting canceled, where I have put myself out there and someone disagrees, somebody starts posting negative reviews or one star instead of five, right? That's going to be painful. There's going to be some sadness, some disappointment, some frustration, some anger, maybe. All of that is very normal. In addition to that, what we do as women is on top of the sadness and anger and frustration, we blame and criticize and judge and second guess and doubt ourselves. And we ruminate about all the things we wish we would have said and how we could have said it better. And why didn't we? And we're so stupid. What that does, it actually blocks us from just feeling the disappointment, just feeling the sadness, even the fear and moving through it. Because now we're spinning out here in all of this blame and criticism and judgment, which we can't actually resolve. Because when I say something like, what is the matter with you? That's actually not a question that has an answer. It's just an accusation dressed up as a question. And so we're just asking ourselves all these questions that have no good answer instead of just Oh my gosh, I feel really sad about this. I tried, I worked so hard on this program and no one bought it. I'm just going to feel sad. I'm going to let myself feel sad. So for me, having your own back means I'm just going to feel whatever negative emotions are a normal part of being human, of being an entrepreneur. And I'm not going to make it worse by mistreating myself in any way. Most powerful thing you said in that podcast was like, if we don't do this, what you just described, we as women have no safe space. Yes. That was a shocking revelation to me, to myself, because it happened one day I was laying on the couch and I was just kind of ruminating over, it was a huge fail. I was supposed to show up for a class. There were lots of people there. I totally forgot about it and I didn't show up. So 
what is the matter with you? Why do you always do that? Why didn't you check your calendar again? What is your problem? When are you going to finally learn? And it's like, all of a sudden I heard it. And why it was so tricky for me to hear before is that that bullying voice sounds like us in our own heads. If it was like Darth Vader coming in, instantly I would catch it, right? But I think the reason it's so hard to catch that bullying voice is because it's us speaking to us. And and I wouldn't lie to myself. I wouldn't tell myself things that aren't true. So if I'm telling myself, you're an idiot, it's because it's true. So when I caught it, that was the first time that I realized, oh, I am living with this voice all the time. At any second, this voice could pop up and totally tear me to pieces when I make a mistake. And I am not safe anywhere. If I'm not safe with me, because I am with me all the time, I'm not safe anywhere. But if I can create a safe relationship with myself where I talk to myself at the very minimum with acceptance, okay, that happened. All right, that's the decision you made. Okay, here's where we are now. Like that's acceptance. Maybe with some graciousness, you're doing the best you can. That was a tough call. There were a lot of reasons why that wasn't really clear. Okay, you did your best. If I can't do that for myself, then I'm not safe. But if I can do that for myself, then I get to, it's like a little safety incubator that I get to take with me wherever I go. And if someone else is mad at me, okay. But I still have the safety that I create with myself. Like when I heard you say that, if you don't do this, you actually have no safe space for yourself. I was driving. I can pinpoint the exact moment where I was in everything. It was like, it was such a moment. And it was like, because we are so focused on the external validation, we're always just out here. And then we're not even aware of what is the internal dialogue, right? And I think once you realize that, you can't unlearn it. And I think we also need to learn like what is the unsafe voice that is talking to us in our own voice, you know? And for me, it's like, you don't know enough. You're not smart enough. It'll never work. Like I can tell you 20 phrases that I are constantly repeat. And so to recognize that, that I have just almost like polluted my beautiful safe space and be like, okay, wait, hold on. We're not going to do that today. You know, it's just a habit that you can get. Oh, there it is again. You know, like that actually isn't true. We're not, remember, we don't do that to ourselves. And I think that like intellectually, I knew that, but hearing you say it as a safe space, like the thoughts, my brain, my internal thinking is a space that I get to cultivate, create and protect. It was like, oh, I don't know. It was just very, very powerful for me for so Thank you for that. I I mean, nothing makes me happier than hearing what a difference that makes because nobody teaches us this, right? Nobody says, hey, guess what? Now that you're an entrepreneur, what this means is your brain's just going to come up with a whole new list of ways to beat you up. You don't know enough. You're not smart enough. Nobody will buy it. Why did you think this was a good idea? And that you can actually have an effect on that and feel better about it. That doesn't mean that everything goes perfectly, but it just means that no matter what, I am safe with me, no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. Jenny, does that help you with the fear of being canceled? I think that the only way I'll know if the fear goes away is if I start saying the things I really want to say and then seeing the result, which is that I am okay. Even talking about it is hard for me. Like I feel like that was a step and then hearing the feedback, like knowing that it's even something you can question. I have such a big fear well, it's definitely not helpful, but it's probably not even realistic. You know, like when you take a fear and you like blow it up, that it's like this true monster in your head. So yeah, for sure. Let's talk next, you know, about being doxxed. Like our brains have a fascinating capacity for negative bias, right? Mm -hmm. Everything is going to go, if it's going to go wrong, it's going to go like spectacularly Mm -hmm. wrong. And being doxxed is an example of that. But my guess is if that happened, you would know how to handle it or you would figure it out. Yeah, it's a handgun. That's fair to say? (laughs) Yeah, possibly. I mean, seriously, like, yeah, I totally would. I think resent the idea that I even, that we are working and living in a situation, like in an age where this happens. And part of it is Sandy and I know someone that this happened to very intensely. And I think that 
just to be totally honest, I feel like I personally, and therefore my contribution to our work together, Sandy, have been holding back to a significant degree because of this fear. Like, so this is affecting a lot. Like it's affecting my businesses. It's affecting my like personal sense of safety. It's affecting a lot of things. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I maybe just have like a larger version of this fear. (laughs) To me, I think this is actually how people pleasing is showing up is that I'm so afraid, like pissing off the wrong people that I end up like only showing 10% of myself and my ideas to the world. And that's painful. Yeah. It's super painful. When we talk about it's uncomfortable to people, please. And it's uncomfortable to not, this is a fantastic example because you are making yourself smaller. You are editing yourself. You're spending probably a lot of time and energy worrying about this and trying to say everything the right way. Mm -hmm. That's uncomfortable. And that's a never ending discomfort. Oh yeah. Because it keeps going and it keeps going on and on and on because Mm -hmm. it's never resolved. Mm -hmm. And here's what I want to tell you about the discomfort of not people pleasing. It's highly uncomfortable in the beginning, but it gets easier. It gets better. And it's not always going to be as uncomfortable. And for you, what you're literally doing is not saying the most powerful, Mm -hmm. game-changing, innovative, expansive, all of those parts of you don't get to talk because of this fear. Mm -hmm. That's painful. No one can express and teach and guide and coach the way you can. And if you don't do it, that will never exist in the world. And so I think it's interesting that your third kind of concern was that my work becomes irrelevant. There's part of you that's already irrelevant because you haven't shared it with us. That most powerful part. Yeah. I think I'm afraid that it will like negatively impact our businesses or if we piss the wrong group of people off or that like my other work that I've done previously will somehow be discredited and the other people I did that work with will somehow be negatively impacted. Like it is such an intense fear. And I think that part of the reason that the fear is so big, and this is really helpful to have this conversation is because it's a topic that like even talking about it is dangerous, right? So we don't have a lot of podcast topics, like episodes out in the world where people are like working through cancel culture and saying honestly what they feel, because it's such this like third rail topic of conversation, that like even talking about it is dangerous or perceived as dangerous. And to me, I I had this moment like a month or two ago where I was like, what world are we living in? I don't remember as a child being afraid of saying anything. Like I didn't always say the best thing or the smartest thing, (laughs) but like I didn't ever have this kind of fear. And it's only in the last few years that I've really been afraid to say something. I think it's such a danger to our culture and such a danger to our sort of individual like mental health, right? That's why I just even wanted to ask you because when I hear you talk about people pleasing, it's just to me like there's a direct line to this. And I think that this is like, I'll just say there are certain like thought leaders who I feel like hold court in this space and they deem what's acceptable to say or to question or to talk about. And God forbid you mess up you know, and you say something slightly the wrong way or (laughs) go against one of them. And like, maybe it's okay. Like, I think now this conversation is making me feel like, actually, like we have to start tearing that down because it's detrimental to all of us. Otherwise the world doesn't change. They just keep winning. They, yeah. Yeah. But it's like, I'm not a good enough feminist. If I say this, or I'm not a good enough environmentalist, or I'm not a good enough progressive, whatever, like all the things that I supposedly hold myself out to be like, I'm afraid of being taken down by my own people, right? Like I'm not afraid of opposing points of view coming at me, like bring that on. That's fine. It's like this self-censorship within our own spheres of beliefs that to me is so dangerous. And it just deprives us of the most creative and innovative. Yeah. Which sometimes is risky, right? But I think what it also does is it gives us a false sense that if I just say it right, nobody will get mad at me. Mm, Yeah, That is also not true. There is no right way to be a feminist. There is no right way to be an environmentalist. There's no right way to be an entrepreneur. There's always someone who's going to be 
pissed off about something or take issue or think you did it wrong. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing I want to just point out is it is a lie. It is impossible to say it the right way so that nobody ever is mad with it. Nobody's ever upset by it. It's just not true. It's it's impossible. So all the time and energy and effort that we're spending crafting and rewriting and sending it to our partner. Is this bad? Is this too much? Is this over the top? All of that we could just use to calm ourselves down. I do think an important part of this for you is like finding safety in your body and in yourself and cultivating that so that it's the foundation on which all these other things happen. And then you have all the time and energy that you used to worry about pissing people off to do something else with. What was interesting that you said to her was like, not showing up and not speaking out is super uncomfortable and it's going to like perpetually uncomfortable. But if you do the thing that you want to do, that you're called to do, to say the things that, you know, your beliefs that it's uncomfortable, but it lessens over time. Fascinating, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We get better at speaking up. We get more comfortable with sharing our opinion. It's way easier to set a boundary and hold it. Because whatever we're doing, we're reinforcing. So if I'm people pleasing, I'm just reinforcing I'm a people pleaser. If I take the steps to learn how to stop, then that is what I'm enforcing and creating more of. And where I see it show up the most, especially for entrepreneurs, I mean, what do entrepreneurs always say they want more of? Time and money, right? I need more time to make more money. When I ask the average woman, to tell me how many hours a day her mind is ruminating, spinning, replaying past events. Actually, I wish I would have said that. Why didn't I say it that way? Oh, I can't believe I, you know, criminalizing themselves, criticizing, judging. It's about three hours a day. Now, their brains are ruminating. Their bodies are doing other things. They're trying to write copy and it's really hard to do it because they can't focus. They're driving carpool. Maybe they're showing up for jury duty or whatever. Their brains are doing the ruminating. Their bodies are doing something else. But if you think about the type of energy that it takes to do that for three hours a day, that's 21 hours a week. It's over a thousand hours a year that our brains are hemorrhaging this energy that we could be doing something else with. And so What I think is the best sell is you want more time? Stop people pleasing. You want more Mm -hmm. energy and time to make more money? Stop people pleasing. Because all of that time that you're wasting in the rumination and the fearful thinking and the catastrophizing, you could do something else with that time. Yeah. I think that's a really great reframe of it because that just makes me deeply sad that we are, because I know the men aren't. Most of those dude bros are not spending that kind of time, right? You mentioned boundaries in that. I would love your thoughts on how you set up boundaries. Cause I think that is really common for women in business too, as you alluded to earlier about like being available and just doing everything for those clients and kind of forgetting about yourself and your time. And how do you create the business boundaries for yourself? Such a great question, because I think one thing that's misunderstood about boundaries is that it's the limitations we try to put on other people so that we can be happy. And for something to be a boundary. It has to be fully enforceable by me. Mm -hmm. So I can't tell you, Jenny, Jenny, you're not allowed to email me after five o'clock or you're not allowed, (laughs) right? Because once I've given you my email or my phone number, you can do whatever you want with it. But what I can say is I will no longer be responding to emails or texts after 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. because that's a hundred percent in my control. So Mm -hmm. when I set a boundary, I always want to understand why is this necessary? Do I like my reasons? Yeah, I want to go off into the evening with my family and I don't want to be wondering, has Jenny emailed me? Is she texting me? Is she worried about me not getting back to her? I'm just going to tell her. If it's after five, you'll hear from me the next day. So once I understand and know my reasons, then sometimes the harder part is enforcing the boundary. Because if Jenny- I'll just check. Yeah, because for sure, right? We all have customers and clients and deal with people who are going to email us at 5.30. Absolutely. Because in the past, we have accommodated that. So for those people who are still emailing, let's say it's Jenny, and it's 5.30, in comes an email. Then I have to hold the boundary, which means me taking a deep breath 
reminding myself, this is what I said. I liked my reasons for saying it. And now I have to do the work of enforcing it. And the first time's always the hardest. The second time's a little less hard. The third time's a little less hard. And hopefully Jenny gets the hint and doesn't email anymore. But even if she does, my experience of it gets easier. What's funny to me about that is I've been trying really hard to set my own boundaries about not working in the evening and like trying to like really trust myself that if something comes up that I will do it tomorrow or Thursday or whatever, I'll just like trust myself to get it done. And then the one time that I actually like one time I was offline Thursday night, our freaking bank collapsed, SVB freaking collapsed. And I was like, see, I can't go offline. I can't. I have to always I was like, I guess Sandy doesn't think it's a big deal. Let's not worry about it. So I'm trying to unlearn that. Like that is like a one-time weird thing. You could still not work. And it doesn't mean like something's going to break or collapse or fall apart. I'm like, yeah. One event does not a pattern make. It was like 100,000 events before that, but they've tapered off. So yeah. And I thought I was doing so well. I mean, believe me, a bank collapsing, that's an important thing to pay attention to. (laughs) We don't want to live our lives from the rare exceptions. Yeah. And that's basically defines Jenny and I, yeah. uh And even getting doxxed, I mean, that's probably more rare than common. And so we just want to realize that we don't want to be living our lives from possibilities. Yeah, no, that's so true. I know we have a hard stop. You need to go soon, but we do want to leave room for join hustle, which we didn't actually talk about at the beginning of the, the episode. Are you prepared for that? Or do you need us to explain it to you? Please explain. So Sarah, at the end of all of our episodes, we ask our guest to share something that's bringing you joy in your life right now and a tool that can help our listeners hustle in their career or business. So the joy can be a nap or a walk or a book that you love or anything really. And the hustle can be any kind of tool or practice or idea. Great. I'm ready. Okay. So Sarah, what is your (laughs) joy? My joy is a weird one. Cold plunging. Oh, I'm so intrigued by this. Do you have that very expensive plastic swimming pool that goes in your backyard? Yes. Yes, we actually do. For a while over the winter, I could use my pool, but I live in Arizona, so it it just gets too warm for that. And here's why I love it. There is never a morning when I wake up and I'm like, I get to cold plunge today. This is going to be amazing. I always dread it. I've been doing it now for almost a year. There's never a moment every morning, where I'm like every morning, almost How many minutes? every single morning. I try for two to three minutes. That's okay. about the, two minutes is about the baseline for like getting the good effects mm-hmm. and from it. But what I love is that I do something every morning that I don't want to do because mm-hmm. I know it's good for me. And I know that after I'm going to feel great. Do you have all the endorphins? It does it really work? Do you have all the energy or like the happy feelings? I've been like obsessively looking at these things online. They're so expensive though. So I need you to convince me that I need to order one. You know what? There are lots of cheaper ways to do it. I didn't have the bandwidth or the handy skills to go about it in a cheaper way, but those methods are out there. The reason that I did it was because I tend to live most of my time in my head it makes sense up there. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, reasoning and logic and cognition are very familiar. And when you are cold plunging, you cannot be anywhere else, but in your body. Mm -hmm. It is a very, very visceral experience. I know. I know. Yeah. And so I cry. There are times when I will just sob and break Mm -hmm. down into tears. I don't know why, but it's in there. Mm -hmm. I am a very good compartmentalizer. And so I can take all my emotions and box them up and shut them away. And sometimes I never go back and look with, look at the box, right? I just ignore mm-hmm. it. And so I have had like euphoria. I have had like deep grief, sadness mm-hmm. work. I have had, mm-hmm. I get out and I feel great. Sometimes I get out and I'm just like, okay, that was, that was good. On with Would the rest all of that it. emotion come when you're in or after? Like in, what, in for me, it mm. comes in the moment mm. because when the cold is that intense, like I said, you can't be anywhere, but in your body. And then mm. when you're there, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sad about that thing. All of the emotion that it is also stored in our body. It's mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. 
It's totally in our wow, body. That's, that's so fascinating. So smart. Oh my gosh. Well, I think you just sold one of those for those. Fantastic. <laughs> Can we get an affiliate link here? Affiliate link. <laughs> I know. Like just send me your link, honestly. Like all I, I wish. I wish. Cause I I've convinced several people of the value of cold plunging purely because it's something you don't want to do that you do amazing for you. So many health benefits. And then just being in your body is so powerful. Just like the wild swimming, Sandy. It's yes. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's yeah. Same. It's like on goop. It was one of the episodes on, or the sections on that goop. Oh, thing the Wim Hof. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I just want to share a funny thing. So I've recently been like, I need to be better at creating habits and I hate going to the dentist. So all the things that you said is for me flossing my teeth every single night, <laughs> but I don't have the, I don't have the euphoria, sobbing, <laughs> sobbing. but I'm showing myself that I can like recreate habits. So try anyway. flossing in a cold plunge. Oh, <laughs> I you need know. one too, Sandy. Let's order them. Together. I have a snowbank. It's called a snowbank. Yeah. yeah you can oh, and, and all out there. Man, if I had that, I would not have bought that, but it's been a beautiful, I've loved it. Oh, mm. that's so cool. Okay. Your hustle. So my hustle lately is actually giving myself breaks during the day when I notice that it's becoming very hard to think something through. I'm writing an email and I'm staring at it and I go back over the sentence four times. And now I'm on to like, oh, my brain is just tired. So it's actually slowing down to speed up. Mm -hmm. So I give myself a break. I go get a snack. I go outside and I sit in the sun. I go to the mailbox. I play with my dog for a few minutes. And then when I come back, I used to think, no, you are sitting here until you get this done. You're not going to get up and wander around. Like I was penalized. It, like it actually, like mentally weak or something. Like, why yes, can't you just sit yes, and like write the A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, it goes back to school behavior of like, you're going to sit here on this desk until you learn your multiplication facts. You are not getting up until it's done. So what I realized is that my brain is actually tired. And if I want to go faster, I have to slow down first. So I take a break, I get up, do the things I mentioned, and inevitably I come back with a little bit of a second wind with some better ideas and some perspective. Those are some damn good join hustle, Sarah. I got to tell you <laughs> way better than like flick up or something. <laughs> That's because honestly, being tech challenged is one of the things I read into in my business. I don't even know what click up is. <laughs> That's, you go. That's well, for the best. We got a platform for you if you're tech challenged, if you, <laughs> when you're ready, <laughs> put our own little plug in there. Okay. Well, Sarah, thank you. Where can people find you if they want to know more? I am on social media, Sarah Fisk coach and Sarah Fisk coaching on Instagram and Facebook. I have a website, sarahfisk.coach. Yes. Dot coach is actually a thing. Yes. I love that. And that's where you can find me. The podcast is the ex good girl podcast and all those are great places to find me. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. Super helpful. And uh, let's just do it again. Okay. I would love to. Absolutely. Jen, I'm going to come back and check on you in a couple of yes. months. All right. Thank you so much, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. This podcast is brought to you by Marvelous. Marvelous helps you build and grow your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. If you're looking for a simple, beautiful, custom branded platform to build and grow your online business, you can learn more at heymarvelous.com.